Amen. Well, how y'all doing this morning? Only two people told me they ate too much. I don't believe that. They said, I ate too much. I confess. How many of you ate too much? Amen. You know, we'll, we'll go and we'll eat too much of a meal. How many of us can say, I got too much of Jesus this week? You know, you can never get too much of Jesus, but you know, you can sure live your life without enough of him. Amen. And sometimes we're good at coming to the table to fill this physical body, to nourish these temporal needs, and we forget sometimes that there is a spiritual need, amen, a spiritual table we need to sit at. This morning, I want to talk to us. We're going to start in a minute. But first, I want us to pray. If you've got a Bible, I want to ask you to hold it up in honor of the Word of God, to show God we are thankful and grateful to have one. And let's pray this prayer together, if you'll join me. Father, thank you, oh God, for the Bible. Thank you that I have one in my hand. Thank you that it contains the complete and full word of God. The earth will end and flesh of mankind will pass away, but the word of God shall never pass away. Help you, your preacher, to preach your word today. Help your church to hear it and understand it today. Teach us to obey and to keep your word, O God. Sanctify us with thy truth, your word is truth. This morning I want to ask you to turn in your Bible with me to the book of Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 17 we're going to look at. There's a message here that I want to talk to us about this morning and you know today I think we have an identity crisis in the church in the church family as a whole. In fact I, I fear that most of us have forgotten who we are supposed to be in Christ. The Bible says this about us, that we are the children of God. Not only does it say we're the children of God, we're his own offspring, but it says we're the holy brethren. That's the holy brothers and sisters. The holy saints of God is who we are. And guys, all of that is because of Jesus. It happened through him. In him, we are different than we used to be. And our place is where we should be, is to be rightly connected to Jesus. I want to talk to us about finding our life in Christ this morning. And how so many of us, if you're honest, are not experiencing what the Bible says we should if we're connected with Jesus. There's a verse in Proverbs that I want to bring to our attention this morning. It says, like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. When you wander from the place that we're to be in Christ, we're supposed to be connected to him, abiding in him like a a branch to the vine. We're getting all of our spiritual nourishment. We're supposed to get in all of our spiritual instruction. The Bible says that we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart. We're not to lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways, we're to acknowledge him. And if we do, he will direct our path. If you're not doing that, if you're not trusting the Lord with all your heart, if you're leaning on your own understanding, if you're not in all your ways acknowledging him and who he is and what he says, I promise you, you will end up like a bird out of the nest. You'll be a man out of his place. Our place is to be connected to Jesus so close that we actually are experiencing the life of Christ in us. Jesus says this. He says that the thief came to kill, to steal, And to destroy, and he's doing a good job in a lot of people's lives who say he's their savior. But he said, but I came to give them life and to give it to them more abundantly. I asked myself, why am I not 
always experiencing the abundant life that the Bible describes and says is available to me as a saved child of God, as one of his holy brethren, the saints of the living God. And I think there's a lot in this passage that we can read that's going to bring to light some things that's going to come to your attention that I don't do this. It got me just this week. You know, Paul's writing here, and he's writing to the saved people, people who know Jesus, people who are saved, to the church in Colossae. And he says, if you read with me, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. Friends, the first thing that I see as we begin to look at this is that if you want the life of Christ, you got to make Christ first in your life. If you look at Paul, Paul's telling us right here, he says, if you were raised with Christ, then seek those things above where Christ is. If you expect to experience the life of Christ, you're going to have to make Jesus the priority of your life. I heard a message by Vance Hafner one time that I listened to, and it was a difficult message. It was a hurting message. It was a message that you think, that can't be what Jesus expects of us. And the message was called, Jesus is never second. Jesus is first, or he's not Lord of your life. There's no such thing as partial allegiance. Jesus demands, in fact, he expects and commands it, full allegiance to him as Lord. And friends, when we are not giving him priority of our life, something else has priority of your life. And that's where you find yourself. That's the place you'll end up. Whatever has priority in your attention, in your affections, in your desires, that's always where you'll end up at the end of the journey. And if you want to end up at the end of the journey, walking in the life and feeling the abundance of what Christ wants to do in your life, he has to be priority to us. Friends, I want you to think about this with me just for a second. Paul says that Jesus needs to be first. He says right there, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Set your mind on the things above not here on the earth. If we're honest today, far too many of us is focused on this life and the earthly things and the temporal things, and we're not really thinking about the spiritual things. Look at what he says right there. He's telling us to seek Jesus before all things. Matthew 10, 37 tells us that Jesus says this. You want to expect, hear what Jesus expects out of us when it comes to priority? Jesus said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. How many loves your mama? How many loves your father? Jesus is not saying we shouldn't love our father and mother, but he's saying our love for him should exceed even that of our father and mother. He also says, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Diane just got to go hang out with her youngest, Jody, and We call him Troy, and we got to hang out with his kids, and we hung out in Thanksgiving, all of us. Family's wonderful. But Jesus is saying, if you want my life, the life that I want to give you, you got to make me more important even than those relationships. That's a hard thing to believe. That's why that message I heard from Vance Havner, that Jesus is never second. He's never second, and he surely ain't never fourth or fifth. Can I get an amen? He's first. 
And I want you to think about it. The church in Ephesus, it had not been a church very long. It's the first church in the seven letters to the church that Jesus wrote to. And those letters are primarily letters of correction, letters of showing us and admonishing us to help us to get back to be the church he wants us to be. He wrote to this church, and this church was an awesome church. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and, are not, and, and, not found, them, and found them liars. And you've persevered and you have endurance and you have labored for my name's sake. And if not become weary, man, I wish I had 10 Baptists like that. Amen. But listen what he says. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left. You've departed from your first love. I'm not priority anymore. Do you remember when you first got saved how important Jesus was? I mean, when you first truly got born again and your guilt was taken away and your sins was washed away and you had assurance of eternal life and Jesus had come in, the word of God had come alive and the scriptures were, were just speaking and just every time you opened them, man, it was like nothing was better. It was like honey dripping from the comb to eat and taste of the word of God. And Jesus was so important to you. You were just reading about him. You was in love with him. You wanted to know all about him. You was all just totally overwhelmed with Jesus. You see, that's when your life is being changed. That's when he comes and radically begins to readjust and redo and rebuild in your life because that's the only way it can happen through him. Jesus said that apart from him, we can do nothing. But Paul said in Christ, we can do all things. And so you need to make Jesus the priority of your life. The next thing I see that he's talking about right here is that our salvation you got to make salvation the motivation of your life. What motivates you? What is it that influences you to do what you did all week? What is the day-to-day -day things that motivate, that influence your decision-making and your desires and the choices you make? Because I don't know about you, when I got saved, it's never gotten old. I'm not perfect, but I can't get over the fact that God forgave me. I can't get over the fact that for that to happen... God's son had to come and die for me on a cross. And I don't know about you. I'm not trying to get saved. I got saved. Amen. How do you know, preacher? I know in my knower that something happened to me that I can't ever experience any other way except it has to be true. And the more I try to follow Jesus, the more I give him priority, the more I try to let salvation, what he done to me, motivate me, the more I find out Jesus is unbelievably who he says he is. He's above and beyond my ability to explain to you this morning, but I'd love to try. But you can read in the word of God and through the help of the Holy Spirit, you can get a glimpse of the glory of the only one who ever loved you enough to leave heaven, come to earth and give his life for you and die for you. Friends, that ought to motivate somebody this morning. Can I say Amen. And friends, today, we are so caught up and so distracted and so motivated by so many other things but that. And all the things you had to thank him for, for Thanksgiving, family, a home, a table full of food, oh man. Nothing can compare to the fact that we're saved, forgiven, and going to heaven because Jesus died for us. And the amazing thing about salvation now 
Paul says right here, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Jesus looks at us now, when, when God the Father looks at us, he don't see our sins no more. He sees his son. He doesn't see our failure. He sees Jesus' faithfulness and his holy perfection. We're hidden from God in Jesus. And look at what he says in that next verse. And when Christ, who is our life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Friends, that ought to be a motivator every day. We're going to be with Jesus one day. We're going to stand before him. We're going to see the one who died for us. And if you're honest, if you really met him, the old you, the way you used to be, died when he came into your life. He crucified the old man and he gave you access to the new man. And now... I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things are passing away. All things are becoming new. I'm not the way I used to be. Amen. I'm not what I wish I was yet, but I'm praising God. I ain't what I used to be. Can I get an amen? My life has been changed by Jesus. And his salvation should motivate you to give him priority, to let him have control of your life, to give him allegiance and lordship and to say, Lord, here I am. Take me. Use me. And friends, listen, when you get to that kind of place in your life, your life will begin to experience the abundance of Christ. But when you're distracted and you're given priority to everything else and you're motivated by the things of the world, you're going to experience the things of the world. This is what Paul said motivated him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul said, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then we all died for him. And he says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. I don't know about you, but I find when I'm living for him more than I'm living for me, life is better. I find when I'm living for myself and I'm self-centered and I'm self selfish, life is less fulfilling. You know what I find? The more I surrender to him, the more purpose and fulfillment I find in life. Because true life comes from him and through him and it's, be, it's in him that you find the life that only he can give. But we get all caught up and messed up. Paul said this in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ now lives within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body of clay, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I'm no longer living the way I used to. I've been crucified. Now the life that I live, I live for the one who died for me. And so, friends, when you begin to make Jesus the priority of your life and you make salvation the motivation of your life, you're going to find yourself in the place where you're supposed to be. You know, there's nothing more vulnerable and more danger than a little bird out the nest. God designed that nest. He gave that mama and that daddy bird the wisdom and the ability and the supplies and provision to make that nest. And a young little bird, he gets to chirping a little bit. He gets a little feathers on him. He gets to feeling his wings. First thing he wants to do is start looking outside. <laughs> Getting up on the edge. <laughs> can't even fly yet. Have you figured out we can't fly on our own? You can't make it without mama bird helping you and daddy bird bringing you something to eat. That's a picture of God. And in Christ, we're in the place we're supposed to be where God provides for us, where he protects us, and where we experience the great blessing of his presence. 
But you know the biggest enemy to being in the nest is the desire to get out of the nest. You know what that is? Sin. God saved us to be in Christ, to follow Christ, to obey Christ, to let Christ do his work in us by giving him priority and lordship and trusting him with all our heart and following him by being grateful enough by what he did for us to now give our life back to him as living sacrifices to the Lord. The Bible says that we are to give our life a living sacrifice acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable act of worship, and that we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may prove what is the good and the perfect will of God. The perfect will of God is not for us to get saved Act like everybody else, live like everybody else, come to church on Sunday, sit in a pew and go home and repeat. His desire is for us to live a life different than he found us. And yes, friends, where you find that life is being in the place where God puts you. But there's some of us here this morning, if you're honest, you're already realizing I'm out to nest. <laughs> I'm not in my place. I'm not giving Jesus the right priority. I'm not being motivated the way I should be as I'm saved by his grace and forgiven. And I've been squandering that and I've been wasting that and I've got out of the nest. You know what gets you out of the nest? Sin. And you know what? If you're going to experience the life of Christ, it's not enough as hard as it is to give him priority. As hard as it is to be motivated. Let that be the driving force, the most influential thing in your life. The fact that you're a saved by grace child of God. But friends, you got to make war with the sin in your life. You can't play around with it. You can't ignore it. You can't act like it's not there. You can't hope it's just going to get better. you got to make a willing decision to say, Jesus, I'm giving you priority. Lord, I've been saved by your grace, and because I've been saved by your grace, I don't want to waste it. I want to be changed. I want to go to you to help me to have not only forgive me, but to deliver me. I want to walk in victory, Lord, for your glory. I want to make a difference in my children's life, in my, my spouse's life. I want the people who know me the most to see that what you've done in me the most. You've been changed. And friends, listen. Paul said this in Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's what I think some people think. Paul said, certainly not, exclamation point. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? He says, though, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if you're sitting here this morning thinking, I'm good. I ain't got no sin, preacher. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You need to get up at this altar this morning and get right with God. But if you have sinned, and we all do, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, in the next verse, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's saved people. Friends, we still mess up. Can I get an amen? So you got to make an effort to get sin out of your life. If you're not making war with sin, you in sin. <laughs> Have you figured that out yet? Sin is a never-ending temptation to draw you out of the nest and get you out of your place and take away the life that God wants to give you this morning. Sin will never leave you alone. It's going to be with you because it's in you. But not only is sin in you now, if you've been saved, you've got a new nature in you. You've got a new man. Look at what Paul says here. This is the war that's going on in every one of our lives if we're saved. He says right there, 
Therefore, therefore, verse 5. Therefore, because you died and your life now is hidden in Christ. Because now Christ is coming and he is our life. And he says right here, therefore, put to death your members. That's your old body. You got to put it to death. You got to go to war. He says, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, that's any kind of sexual activity out of marriage. That includes pornography. That includes sleeping together when you ain't been married yet. It includes any type of sexual activity outside of the matrimony that you have in a marriage. And he says the first thing, fornication, uncleanness, passion. That's desires that we don't check. We just accept evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry is anything that's getting more attention and having priority over Jesus. Anything that you give more attention, more affection, that has more of your priority and motivates you more than Jesus is an idolater. And look at what he says. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. But then he says, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. You know, we might occasionally get caught up in sin. But a true saved Christian shouldn't live in sin. You shouldn't act like it's okay. You shouldn't expect it as that's just the way it is. I'm going to do this. I can't stop it. I can't help it. Unless you get to the place where you're going to make war with sin in your life, you're going to remain a defeated Christian. You've got to make a decision. I'm going to stand in Christ. I'm going to give him priority over my life. I'm going to submit to him. I'm going to surrender to him. I'm going to give him lordship. I'm going to believe he is who he says. And I'm going to let the fact that he saved me motivate me. I ought to be the way a saved person ought to be. My identity is in Christ. Not a church. Not a, a group of Bible study. But in Jesus. And friends, we need to make war with the sin in our life. Look at what he goes on and says in verse 9. I mean, verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things. So we're to put to death. We're to put off these things. Anger. Wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Man, it breaks my heart when I used to be on Facebook. And I'd get a post from somebody I knew that would say they love Jesus and praise Jesus. And the next post, they'd be MF in this and blank in that. But they love Jesus. What do you think Jesus thinks about that kind of foolishness? Friends, that will rob you. Yes, it's forgivable, but it's activity that we need to put away. We need to take off, and we need to put the new man and get rid of the old man because we've been saved by grace, and we've been born again. Look at what he goes on and says. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Guys, I don't know about you, but the old man is still alive and well in Marvin. Ask Diane. <laughs> I got to choose every day to put him off, to crucify him, to put him to rest, to put him back where he used to be, back in the grave where Jesus laid him when he saved me. And then I got to make a choice to walk with the new man, the new man that Jesus put in me, the spirit man that raised me from the dead, 
that brought me out of my sin and now gives me the ability and the potential to walk with newness of life. That's what Paul's talking about right here. you got to make war with sin. you got to make a choice that I'm going to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. The Bible says that be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, he shall reap. If you reap, I mean sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. If you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap of the spirit. It's a choice. He says right here, he says in verse 10, And you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to what? The image of him who created him. Who created the new man in us? Jesus. And so now what you got to do is you've got to live a life that is purposely striving for the goal to have Christ-likeness made true in your life. That's what he's talking about. If you give Jesus priority, boy, it's quiet in here. If you give him and his salvation the main influence that motivates you on a regular basis, and if you go to war with your sin, you know what's going to happen? You're going to become like Jesus. Christ-likeness is going to occur in your life. The image of him is going to begin to be manifested in you. But guys, you got to be able to give things up. In John 3.15, it says, For I gave you an example, Jesus said, that you should do as I did to you. And he says in Philippians 2.5, Paul says, Have this mind, have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus. We're supposed to have the same mind, the same attitude as Jesus had. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Friends, I don't know if you have figured out yet, but we love that verse, and we quote it many times, especially when people are going through a difficult time. Romans 8, 28, how many knows what I'm talking about? That's a well-known verse in the Baptist church. All things work together for good for those who love God. And that's usually what people will say, but they forget. Not is it only just those who love God to those who are the called, not called, the called according to his purpose. Now, what was the purpose that God called us into this relationship in the first place? I'm glad you asked because the next verse says in verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Everything in your life, when you're predestined, I mean, when you give Jesus um, priority, when you're motivated by your salvation and you're at war with your sin, Anything and everything going on in your life, God is using it, working it together for good because you love God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, you'll follow me. And because that, that doesn't mean all things work together for good because you're living in sin every day. What fool would think I could go and do anything I want in sin and get it off with any kind of ungodliness and all kind of unworldliness and God's going to work it together for good? No, he'll use it for good, but I can promise you, you ain't going to like how he does it. It's not going to be pleasant. Friends, when he puts you on the wheel, like he told Israel, I'm the potter, you the clay. He said, Jeremiah, am I not the potter? Is Israel not the clay? Go down to the potter's house. I'll show you what I do with my people. He said, see that clay on the wheel? Yeah. He said, that's Israel. And as he began to work the clay, there was something in the clay that marred the clay. You know what he did? It says he pulled it out. How many of you likes God pulling that stuff out of your life that mars you? 
that messes you up. And then he began to do what? He began to mold us. He began to form us. Guys, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes when you're on the wheel, whoo, boy, it can get confusing. Lord, I just want off. But God said, you ain't getting off till I'm through. And you know what I found? The quicker you'll let him do what he wants to, the quicker you'll let him get out of your life what he don't want in your life, the quicker all of a sudden your life begins to make sense again. And it settles down. And when he's through with the clay on the wheel, he makes you into a masterpiece. The Bible says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. And he's working in us and he's busy in us. And what people will say is, if you live all this stuff out, you're, you're, you're just getting too concerned and you're just getting fanatical with this Jesus. Can you ever be too concerned and too fanatical with Jesus? You know, I was reading this and it says right here, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of there. You know what I used to hear? How many of you have heard this? If you get radical with Jesus and you begin to do all this stuff, you know what most of the church is going to say? That, that person's become so spiritual. He's so spiritually minded, he's of no earthly use anymore. Every time I get around him, all he does is talk about Jesus. Every time I get around him, all he does is quote Bible verses. Every time I get around him, all he's talking about is Jesus and what God wants to do. All he talks about is God. God, God. He, he's so spiritually minded, he's no longer of any earthly value. You know, I used to fall for that. I've met very few people in the church life that I've been associated with that are that spiritual minded that they're not able to be part of the earth. You know what I've come to find? That's a lie. That you couldn't find a handful of people that's so spiritually minded that they're of no earthly value. But I can tell you what you can find. Church houses full of people that are so earthly minded, they are of no spiritual value at all. I find them everywhere I turn. I'm still looking for one, Vince. Man, that brother's so full of Jesus. He doesn't make me forget about the world. He doesn't make me take up the cross. He doesn't make me want to decide to follow Jesus. The cross before me. The world behind me, I have decided to go with him. I am going to follow Jesus. That's a radical man of God. A radical woman. They're the ones we look at. They're going overboard. That's why you don't experience the life of God that the Bible says we have access to this morning. And this morning as we read this Bible, do we believe it? As we look at what God says is available to us, do we really want it? Are we willing to give Jesus priority? Are we willing to let the, the salvation that's been so graciously given to us motivate us every day for the rest of our lives to give glory back to Jesus and to give somebody else the opportunity? That we, are we willing to go to war with our sin? Are we willing to strive for Christ-likeness above all the other goals in life? I want to be like my Jesus. Because that's what Paul's telling us right here to do. He says when you get to the end of this, and it's all about being that image bearer, who do we represent? We represent Jesus. He says in verse 10, And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Look at what he says in verse 11. Where there is neither Greek or Jew, that's Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave nor free, 
But Christ is all and in all. See, it's all about Jesus, guys. It's all about Christ having his way. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Who does that remind you of? Jesus. You see, actually, that's all of the attributes, the characteristics of Christ. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace. Jesus said, I'm going to give you all this stuff. And it's going to come from me, not as the world gives to you. And friends, he goes on and says right there, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has any complaint against another, even as Christ forgave us, you must also do. See, we're supposed to go and be like Jesus every day. You know, as we look at this today, I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm trying to inspire you. I was looking, I got that little thing. You might have seen it in the office. It says inspire. Inspire means to awaken a particular feeling in someone. I'm trying to wake a feeling in you this morning, a feeling that God would want you to have in your heart. Inspire means to encourage somebody to greater effort, enthusiasm, and creativity. So I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm here to inspire you. I want to inspire you to live the life that God put you here. You say, well, what do I need to do to get back in the nest? I'm like that little bird that wandered from the nest I'm a man this morning who's out of his place. I'm nowhere near where God wants me to be. Well, friends, I don't know if you understand this, but it's a dangerous place to be out of your place. I have a sermon I preach about this. The whole sermon is on being out of your place. It's from this. And I got it sitting on the front porch one spring when we lived in Tennessee. We had a bird built a nest on the front porch. How many of you ever had that happen? And we'd hear the little birds. We'd have screen door open, screen windows open. We'd hear little birds, cheep, 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 cheep. And man, one day, all of a sudden, one of the little birds sounded like he was in distress. Boy, he was screaming and hollering. I went outside, and the little bird, the dumb little bird, had jumped out of the nest. And the mama bird, when I opened out, seen my big, ugly self, she left. So the bird's just laying there helpless. The other little bird's just looking over. So I got a chair. I climbed up on the rail of the porch. I picked the little bird up back Back then, I I was full of Jesus, and so I I was going to save the little bird. So I put the little bird back in the nest and put him there. I said, little bird, you better stay there because there's something going around this place that Diane has made a friend to and feeds. He was a big old black tomcat. His name was Eclipse. He had a head about that big. And old Eclipse, when I looked over there, was sitting there licking his lips. (laughs) You know, it was about a... A few mornings later, I heard one of the little birds squealing. I said, oh, the little bird done jumped out. And all of a sudden, he went. And when I went out there, guess what happened? Oh, Eclipse was having breakfast. And there's a roaring lion walking around today who looks and seeks to devour each and every one of us if he could have his way. But thanks be to Jesus, who is our warrior our shepherd, our savior. And when you stay with him and you go where he wants you to go and you let him influence you to do what he wants you to do and to be what he wants you to be and you'll fight the war of sin and you'll let him conform you into his image and transform you into a child of God, I want to tell you, my friend, you'll not fall out the nest. 
you'll find the peace that comes from being where God wants you to be and doing what God wants you to do. The question is, how do you get back to the nest? Everyone thinks it's so complicated, but it's not. I can tell you in one word, if you're saved, repent. That's such an awful word we don't like, preacher. We don't like that word. That's a negative word. That ain't what I believe. The Bible tells me that the goodness of God is what leads us to repentance. See, God doesn't want you outside there in the world, in sin, out of his will, living lives that have prioritized the lie of Satan. He wants you to be where he wants you to be. So repent. Yep, repent. Did you know that repentance is in the Bible 68 times and 64 of them is in the New Testament? Repent. The New Testament word for repentance means changing one's mind so that one changes his views, his values, and his goals to the ways that are changed and one's whole life begins to be lived differently. The change is radical. It's so radical when someone repents that it's inwardly and outwardly able to be seen. The call to repent was the first and foremost fundamental summons that was preached in the New Testament, believe it or not. John the Baptist, who paved the way for the coming of Jesus, the prerequisite to you being saved, preached a message of repentance. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. If you want to get near to Jesus, it's going to involve repentance. It's not a one-time thing to get saved. It's a way of life. Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is that close. But you got to repent. You see, if you're going the wrong way, if your priorities are wrong, if your motives are wrong, if you're not warring against sin... You're never going to get to where you need to be without repentance. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verse 3. He said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's what Jesus said. There was a, a big tower that fell on some people and killed a bunch of them. And they said, were they worse sinners than I? Jesus said, no. <laughs> unless you repent, you all all likewise perish. The Bible says that the 12 apostles, when Jesus sent them out in Mark chapter 6, verse 12, he sent them out and it says, so they went out and preached that people should repent, the apostles. At Pentecost, the first thing Peter preached on the first sermon ever preached, yeah, he preached faith in Jesus, but he preached also repent. He said in chapter 2, verse 28, then Peter said unto them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Friend, you can't experience the Holy Spirit working in your life when you're going to have sin all in your life. If you're going to live in sin, you're going to not live in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want the Holy Spirit, you got to repent. I'm just trying to inspire you. Amen. I'm almost through. Paul, the, 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 the apostle of grace, in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, he was preaching to Gentiles like us. He said, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere 
to repent. Jesus has come. The times of ignorance. We got the full Bible here. We got the preacher preaching you the truth. The time of ignorance, God overlooked. But now he commands. He doesn't suggest. He commands that all men, every man, everywhere, repent. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church to save people. And this is what he said about repentance. They were a people who were, had their priorities jacked up. Who knows what their motives were, but it wasn't to honor Jesus. They were sent all in the church. They wasn't doing anything about it. They wasn't showing any evidence of Christ-likeness being manifested in them. They were carnal. They were worldly. And Paul wrote them a very harsh letter. We don't have that letter. It's called the Corinthian Correspondence. There was actually four letters that was written. One by them and three by Paul. We only have the two, first and second. But in that harsh letter, Paul hurt their feelings. Have you ever heard the preacher hurt your feelings? If he ain't never hurt your feelings, he ain't much of a preacher probably. Because I don't know about you, every preacher I like, sooner or later, I don't know if I like him anymore because he hurts my feelings. But guys, I want you to think of this. Paul told them, now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. I'm not here to make you feel sorry, but I am here to get you to a place where you'll repent if your life ain't where it's supposed to be with God. That's my job. That's my call. And he says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. There's some people in here this morning after hearing this is sorry because you know you ain't where you're supposed to be. But true sorrow, genuine sorrow, will produce repentance. Repentance that is in line with being motivated by salvation. I need to get right with God. I need to make Jesus my priority. I need to be motivated by the fact that blood was shed for me, that God's only son died for me, that he suffered on an old rugged cross for me. That he came and left glory and came down here in this hellhole called earth for me and dwelt among us, lived with us, and died for us. And I got stuff in my life that doesn't belong there that he has saved me from, that he will deliver me from. But I got to do more than what I've been doing. I got to put off those old ways and I got to put on the new ways and I need to come to him today. And Jesus, I don't want to just sit in a pew. I want to be like you. I want you to change me. Lord, repent. Repent. Man, that's an awesome word if you think about it. Because repent is the greatest thing that could ever happen to you today. If you're not where you're supposed to be with God. I wish I could tell you that you can just go home and act like it's going to all just go away. But you know that's not true. Today in Christ... There's forgiveness, there's deliverance, there's victory. There's grace that is greater than your sin. There's a life that has more purpose than your plans and your desires. Jesus knows what's best. Today, I'm just going to encourage you as they come up here and I'm going to say a prayer. 
I don't think I would have to explain to you what to do. Because if the Holy Spirit ain't showed you what you need to do yet, you might have a worse problem than what I'm talking about. If God lives in you, he who is in you is greater than he was in the world. He will show you what you need to do. This is an altar. This isn't a stage for me to stand upon. This is also a place where you can come and come to this throne of grace in your hour of need and find help from Jesus. Do you have to come? No. But he might be wanting to humble you. I'm going to tell this and we're going to quit. One time I was struggling with something and I'd done asked God to forgive me so many times. I'd done went to the preacher before and told him to pray with me about it. But it was reoccurring. It kept happening. And I got to the place where I wouldn't even want to think about it, much less deal with it at church. And Jesus was telling me, you go up there. You go up to that altar. You go up to that altar and you kneel with me and you come pray with me and you humble yourself. It's your pride making you stay out there. I'm going to humble you. It's not just the humble. You see, he says that he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. I reluctantly stepped out and on the way up there, I was thinking, Lord, I've done, done this so many times. I, I, I don't see what difference it's going to make, but I knelt down and I prayed. And you know what he told me? Now go tell the pastor again. Now I'm not trying to get you to come tell me anything. Lord knows I got enough to worry about. I don't need to know, but if it's something God wants you to pray with me, I would pray. And I went and told the pastor again. I went out and I wish I could say I'd never done it again. But I can say this, it's gone from my life today. By the grace of God, he removed it. And there's things in everybody's life that we wish wasn't there. I believe this message addresses anything that could be there. Give Jesus priority. Let the fact that he saved you motivate you. Do whatever it takes to go to war. Put off those things. Put to death those things. And say, Lord, more than anything, I want to be like you. And he'll do that. Today, somebody might need to be saved for the first time. You've heard enough of the salvation to know that Jesus loves you. We've all sinned, every one of us. And the penalty of that sin is that we've been separated from God for eternity, eternal death. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus paid the penalty for us. And you can come today and he'll take your sins as if you've never sinned and wash them away and make you new. And you can have access to this life. But the truth of, you can be saved today and your life be out of order. If you need to come today, this is your day. We're going to stand, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you if God has spoken to your heart to obey. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the grace of God that forgives, that cleanses. Lord, you know our hearts. We don't fool you. You know everything we think, much less everything we've done. Yet you're still here to provide forgiveness, grace, and help in our hour of need. Lord, I pray for someone this morning that's fighting that battle with Satan and his flesh. That the old man's pride is telling him no, but the other man is telling him, humble yourself and trust Jesus. I pray today, Lord, that someone would trust in Jesus and get back in the nest before it's too late. In Jesus' name, amen.